This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 457. I know a lot of people that have good ideas. I know a lot of people that are workers. I know a lot of people that want to do something big with their lives, but they force move 19 to move two, and it breaks everything down. They try to buy a house they cannot afford too early. They lose it all. They try to go out there and kind of become this famous person that they haven't done yet enough to get there, and they want that kind of respect. The sequencing is where we make the mistakes in, and that's why I wrote the book, Your Next Five Moves, which is really all about sequencing. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David, the One Cop Shop Green. How you doing? Not bad. I made that up right now at the shop. One, the One Cop Stop. I don't know. I don't know what I said. (laughs) You had a good idea, A for effort there. What's the What's the phrase? A one stop shop. Yeah. I was playing with that. I'm trying to put cop into it because it rhymes. It was pretty. It was decent, right? Give me Give me a rating on that. One out of ten. Somebody tell me how I did. Uh, What you been up to, man? Uh, buying a couple condos in Hawaii. They should be closing soon. That's been a long closing process. Oh God, yeah. The the financing has taken a long time. But enough about me. I am on cloud nine right now because we get to bring our audience to listen to one of the people I respect the most in the entire business entrepreneurial success space. Mr. Patrick, but David, well, let me, let me explain why this is such a, an interesting thing. So most of the guests we have on the show that we bring on are people that I'm obsessed with for whatever. I, I read a ton of books. I'm obsessed with them. And I'm like, hey, we should get this guy out or this gal on. And so a lot of the guests we've had, especially on the Sunday episodes, which are more mindset and success focused rather than real estate, have been people that I've been obsessed with. Uh, this is one that you, uh, Patrick Davis, was one that you brought to me and said, you need to listen to this guy. And for the last six months, I would say half of the text messages I get from you are either a link to something that he said or an encouragement <laughs> to go listen to something he said or a quote that he said. So uh, I was, I, I was, you know, when people like push you really hard, and they're like, you should go do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, try this food. I'm not going to try that food. I resisted for a few months. And then finally I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And like, now he's like my favorite person in the entire world. So you and I are both super fans and we are thrilled and honored to have Patrick Bay David here today. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah. He's addicting. Yeah, um, I yeah. love Patrick's communication style. Frankly, yeah. I listen to it just to help me communicate better on our podcast. And he's a meat and potatoes guy. I think a lot of our listeners come to Bigger Pockets because we don't try to upsell you on something. We give you exactly what you're looking for. And he's got that same style. He makes really good content. He breaks down exactly what leaders should be doing, what a business owner should be doing, all the way down to actually picking up the phone and what you say when you answer it. So it's hard to find people like that. And when you do find one, you definitely want to share it. Yeah, well, let me read his bio real quick because this is just so good. It says, During the Iranian Revolution of 1978, Patrick's family had escaped to survive and end up living in a refugee refugee camp in Germany, moved to California, served in the U.S. Army, became an entrepreneur, uh, huge business influencer, media influencer today. Uh, I think they have over 2.5 million views. I mean, uh, not views, subscribers to their uh, YouTube channel, to his YouTube channel, Valuetainment, uh, has a massively successful uh, insurance company. Uh, I think it's called PHP Agency. Uh, yeah, over 10 million followers across five media platforms. It's just, yeah, crazy. Um, he's interviewed pretty much everybody who's mm-hmm. ever had a deep thought in the world. He's mm-hmm. a he's an amazing uh, host and interviewer. And we're going to turn the tables on him today. So that is what we're talking about today. 
and his new book, which was called Your Next Five Moves. You'll hear all about that and more. But first, let's get to today's quick tip. That is quick tip. Pick up a copy of Your Next Five Moves by Patrick Bed David. It is amazing. I'm not kidding. It is one of the best books I've read. It's really good. I think you'll love it. And it applies perfectly to real estate investors, even though it's not a real estate book. I think you'll love it. Let's so, give them a second quick tip. Okay. Second quick tip Ooh. of the day, the not quite as quick tip, is going to be don't waste pain. We talked today with Patrick about how pain is the most powerful motivator there is. You never want to go create pain for yourself or purposely hurt another person. But trust me, if you're living on earth, there's plenty of pain going around. You've already got some. Find a way to let that motivate you to accomplish your goals as opposed to what Brandon talks about when people let that become their excuse for not chasing their goals. Mm, That's pretty good. That's good. Good tie into the show. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. All right, big thanks to our sponsors as always. And now I think it's time to get into the show with Patrick Bay. David, you guys are going to love this. But hey, real quick, uh, before you go uh, to the interview, uh, this week I'm doing a contest over on my Instagram. I've never done this before, but uh, I'm going to actually offer up my vacation rental in Maui, come have lunch with Heather and I, maybe Josh or David, uh, do a strategy session with me on your real estate, maybe even make a guest appearance on the Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, which is kind of cool. If you want to know more about the contest, go check out my Instagram. I just dropped a video, uh, Beardy Brandon. It's Beard with a Y. I dropped the video on April 3rd, uh, 2021. So, Beardy Brandon, check it out. And uh, I hope you win. It's going to be awesome. All right, enough chit chat. Let's get to the interview with Patrick Bet David. All right, Patrick, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It is uh, an honor to have you here. It's good to be on with you guys. 
No, thank you. Well, let, let's start. I want to start somewhere that's maybe a, maybe a little bit of a painful uh, scenario in your life or situation in your life. It's something I read in the book, so I don't think it's too private. But And that is uh, your father had a heart attack. I think you're 23 years old. Uh, and that situation changed your life. I'm wondering if you can tell the audience about that. Yeah, so I was I was the guy that you wanted to party with. I was the guy you wanted to go to clubs with. I was the guy you wanted to go to Vegas with. I was that guy. I was the guy that partied hardcore from the moment I joined the Army at 18 till about 24 years old until my dad had a heart attack and I went to UCLA Medical Center and I was at this uh, government facility, even though it was UCLA. I'm going to this place and I see my dad lost weight. He looks weak and, you know, the the place is not really helping him out. And I got upset at one of the nurses. Why aren't you going? My dad's been calling you. And the lady's like, sir, we have 50 other people here. Your dad is uh, on free insurance. You're not paying for this. So you, we, the government, the taxes are paying for this. I flipped out. They called the security, kicked me out. I went downstairs and I had a Ford Focus at the time, 2002 Ford Focus stick shift manual. And I cried mm-hmm. like a little baby that day. And I woke up the next day as if you wouldn't recognize me. I told my friends, don't call me anymore to go to clubs. Uh, I told the girls, I'm not going to clubs. Mm-hmm. Don't call me for nothing. And uh, I stayed like that until uh, my dad didn't have to worry about financial issues ever anymore. And that was, uh, man, I the last time my dad reached in his pocket to pay for anything was May 29, 2004. And, uh, it cha- and, and the reason for that was because I shifted in 2003, August, where I said the things are going to change you moving forward. So that's what happened with that story. Wow. It almost sounds like, because I've heard you tell the story many other times, you had a lot of stuff going on in the background of your mind. You had some skills. You, you were a strong-willed person. You wanted to be successful at what you did. Bodybuilding at one point was what you wanted to do. You were obviously successful at partying and having friends. And that moment with your dad sort of catalyzed all of the skills that you had and the strengths you had, and you got that focus that you said, okay, I'm going to take these things that make me unique and I'm going to actually put them in a solid direction because I don't want to be in this pain. Am I completely off with my assumption of how that mindset was formed? No, you're right. You know, the saying goes, uh, uh, fear sharp is listening. I was so afraid of my dad lying. Ever since I was six years old, when my teacher asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a dad. And they're like, what, Scott, you want to be a dad for what? I mean, it wasn't like I said, I want to be a dad because I want to do the work that it takes to be a dad, which makes more sense because, you know, that's fun. But uh, no, I said, I want to be a dad because my my dad's my favorite human being in the world. And, you know, I just there's something special about my dad and I's relationship. He was very tough on me. He was challenging me constantly, always, you know, go do something with your life. It was constantly like that. So it wasn't like He's a very loving, caring, like it's not his personality. Like first time he said, I love you to me. I was uh, uh, one day my sister and I having a conversation. I'm like, you know what, dad? When's the last time you said, you know, I said, dad, I love you, dad. He said, excuse me. I said, I love you. He says, that's good. I said, I want you to say I love you too. He said, no. I said, tell me I love you too. He says, you know, I love you. I said, I want you to tell me you love me. Anyways, long story short. (laughs) I said, uh, you need to tell me and your daughter, you love us, and we know, but we want to hear it. So I want you to say, this is me coming out of the military. What has gotten into you ever since you got out of the military? You tell everybody what to do. I don't need to tell anybody I love them. I'm like, okay, no problem. I go to work the next day, and uh, I get a call at Bally's. Hey, uh, your dad's on line one. I'm like, my dad never calls work because to him, it's like, 
it's disrespect to call someone while they're working because to him work is like so uh -huh. you can't insult somebody like that. So I pick up. I said, Dad, what's going on? He says, uh, hey. I said, what's up? How you doing? Good. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 I love you. Click. <laughs> What's wrong with this guy, right? And then my sister calls me. She says, hey, is that okay? I said, why? He says, because he just called me, said he loves me, and he hung up. He says, no, let me tell you the conversation. You know, I so look, since six years old, I wanted, I wanted to be like him. And so for me, when that happened, I was afraid of losing him. And that created a level of urgency and seriousness to get my life together. Yeah. Brandon, didn't you have a similar experience with just that deep-rooted desire to be a father? It was always present in your life. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, uh, I, in fact, uh, I read, uh, what's that book? Uh, Matthew McConaughey's book that came out recently. Green Lights. Yeah, Green Lights. He mentioned like the only thing I ever wanted to be was a father. And when I read that line, I'm like, oh, that just resonates in my soul, right? The only thing I ever knew I wanted to be more than anything, like the only thing I ever knew I wanted to be was a father. So yeah, I can totally resonate with that. Uh, I I'm wondering if we could talk real quick about even what came before that too. I mean, I don't want to gloss over the first 22 years of your life before that moment. Uh, you came from another country and you had some uh, unique way of getting to America. Can you explain that? Yeah, I lived in Iran 10 years. And when Khomeini died uh, six weeks later, July 15th, we escaped. We went to Germany. I lived at a refugee camp in Germany for a year and a half until we finally got our green card to come to the States. And I came here November 28, 1990, which was a magical year. When I landed in the airport, I was looking for Rocky... I was looking for some gremlins. Yeah, one-eyed Willie. We all remember yeah. the Goonies. Yeah. That, that's awesome that that's what America was. Okay, so <laughs> you get to this country. It's definitely not what you thought. What we're trying to figure out here is how did this amazing mindset you have develop? Where did it come from? What would you mind sharing about how pain and rejection played a role in entrepreneurial success? Yeah, that, that's a big part because, uh, uh, you know, if that happens to you early on, There's two ways we react to it. So funny. So I'm in Hawaii. One of my guys comes up to me. I'm going to give him a shout up here. They don't even, I'm going to say it. It's not like they're my main player. Their name is Wendy and Eddie. And they come up to me and they say, hey, Patrick, can you make a video and send it to one of our guys in Phoenix in their office? I said, what did you do last month performance wise, right? And he said, we only did this much. I said, how much? He said, this much. I said, what happened? You guys had a killer December. But well, you guys didn't come out the gates. How come you had such a small uh, January? And honestly, I kid with them because we have a very good relationship together. They're like, well, you don't understand and all this stuff. You don't understand. You don't understand. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing the video. I'm not doing the video until you do X, Y, Z. But I don't think I'm doing a video because I think you're too content and casual right now. So no, I'm not going to send that message out. And I walked away. Now, I've done that my entire career for 20 years. You guys got to realize you don't see my day today. All you know is my... You know, my day-to-days, I challenge and I poke a lot. So I walked away and I said, and I told Tikrin, I said, I don't know how they're going to respond to it. Let's see how they're going to respond to it. Well, the la they're about to do something in a company today that no one's ever done in the history of the company ever to break a record. They came back with a vengeance, pissed off that the fact I said, I'm not doing the video because you lack consistency. You're one month on, one month off. And no, I'm just not going to do it. So now here's the complete opposite side. What's crazy about the story is I can say the same thing to three other people and the way they would have taken it is, I can't believe he said that. I don't think he likes us. I can't believe he said this. What an arrogant this. What did this? What did that? They missed the entire point. So, so, so Nick, Saban, Nick Saban said, he's talking to his guys and it's got all his players around here. He says, look, it's, 
there's three different types of players that I have on my teams my entire career. He says there are those that don't want to be told anything. Leave me alone. It's the leave me alone community. Don't, don't tell me anything. Don't coach me. I know what I'm doing. He says the second are the ones that want to be coached. He says, but the highest level ones that end up doing the best are those who want to hear the truth. He says, I'm looking to build players who want to hear the truth and be coached. If you want to be left alone, this ain't the team for you, right? So you mm -hmm. ask the question, where did your mindset come from? I went through a lot of weird, strange, hell experiences. That's why they call it hell week. I went through like a hell decade or two. And then at the same time, I lost some battles. I lost some moments. And then eventually all of those things combined together, I got tested. I said, you know what? The hell with it. All I can control is myself. We responded to it. So yeah, I do agree with a lot of those things helps you out, but it's also on the individual, how they respond to the challenges not necessarily the challenges. You know, you you put a post on social media maybe a month ago or so ago of a player, a, a football player who had lost the bowl game. And I don't remember the teams, but I remember that you you showed he was out there while the rest of the team was in the locker room sulking or maybe consoling each other. Hey, you had a great season. He goes out there and he watches the other team get their rings or get their medals. And he just wanted to absorb every single ounce of pain and, and frustration because I'm sure that player's thinking, I've been there many times, what if I would have given a little more? What if I'd trained a little harder? And the, your message was don't ever waste pain. Pain is the most important, powerful recipe yeah. when it comes to being successful. And uh, I, I don't know many people that look at the world from the perspective you have, but when we interview successful people, when you interview successful people, can you think of one that didn't go through an abnormal amount of pain at some point in their life that caused them to respond the way they did? Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, okay, so the percentage is based on uh, uh, fidelity. 83% of millionaires in America are self-made. 17% are not. Okay, so maybe the person that's not self-made and he grew up in a family that they kind of gave him everything and things were easily given to him, you're taking away what caused the person who's self-made mm -hmm. to become self-made is a lot of pain and challenges. So sometimes parents take that away from them. In our house, it's so funny. Uh, we're trying to get our kids into this one school. We're not fully sold, but we're kind of looking at it and we're doing hardcore investigation right now. And one of the things that uh, the people said, they said, this school is very challenging. They work with your kids a lot, but they expect a lot from your kids. And I look at my wife, I said, babe, what would most people say about your husband on the way I, you know, we can be on vacation, guys. We're in Hawaii. You guys are in Maui. I'm in Maui two weeks ago. The kids are still required to read 20 pages every day, and they're still required to do that. It doesn't matter where we are. They're required to. So we'll go on vacation with a lot of our peers and our friends and family, and they're like, you, you still don't let them do it. It's vacation. I said, I don't care what it is. The currency in my house is reading books. Now, to the average person, it's what? Well, you're being unreasonable. Well, this is a little too much, and this is a little too much. This, I get it. Um, you can't take pain away from individuals. We all have to somewhat go through it individually. This doesn't mean you don't have a community to console and go talk to and say, man, I've gone through it as well. It's challenging, buddy, but I believe in you. You can get back into it. Let's go get it. This doesn't mean encouragement is bad. This doesn't mean community is bad. This doesn't mean lifting each other up is bad. This doesn't mean, you know, hugging somebody and telling them, bro, you got it. It's all right. We, we got this. I believe in you. But it also means we have to have that in order to independently survive in this thing called life yeah. that's nonstop of humiliation, 
you know, shots, differences, judgment, argument, debate, setbacks, you know, heartbreaks. I just had a conversation right now with the guy. His name is Dan Price. I don't know if you guys remember the one CEO who came out and said, I make too much money. I'm making $1.1 million your income. I'm going to give all my employees a $70,000 your salary. And this thing was shared and it got 500 million comments, record-breaking for NBC, record-breaking for Facebook. And he was the talk of town for quite some time. Obama gave him this award and all these other things that happened with this guy, right? Well, he and I just talked right now for 90 minutes. If you would have sat here and listened to the conversation, you would have said it's probably one of the most... There was about three moments in the in the conversation where I challenged him with the questions where, where I thought it was going to be over with, right? But I think we need that pressure. We need the discourse. Yeah. We need us to have those kinds of conversations. And none of us can get away from life without having that, especially if you want to compete at the highest level. My, my daughter is four years old right now, almost five, and she just told her first lie uh, about a month ago or so. She, she says, mom said I could have ice cream. And mom, mom walks in the room and goes, no, I didn't. And she goes, oh, I, I forgot. And we're like, no, you did. You just you just lied. And she her face goes like white. She jumps off the chair. She runs into the room and scream like and just she can't stop screaming. She feels so guilty for lying and having been caught in it. And she's got her face in the pillow, just crying and screaming. And my wife and I walk in there and I held my wife and I said, she needs to feel this. Like this. This is the hardest thing. Like I want to go in there. And be like, It's OK. It was a small lie. Don't worry about it. But that's where her character is being built in that moment where she's just in pain. And of course, we then would talk to her and we talked through it through. But it just reminds me of in life, sometimes we have to go through that. And people oftentimes will use that pain in their past as an excuse on why they're not successful. But then others use that as a reason, as a fuel, as a fire for why they are. Uh, and that's a huge difference I see in people that are successful and not. You know, it's crazy you say that Michael Jordan in the documentary, The Last Dance, there's a part where he explains what his dad did to him. They showed a scene where his dad's like, oh, you just go outside, you know, you know, you're not a real man. You can't go build stuff. Let me and your brother just to go get the stuff done. Something like that to the effects of that, that his dad told him. He says, when my dad was challenging me and pushing me to be better, he said, when you're in it, he said, it's very difficult emotionally. He says, because you don't know how to handle it the first time. You're being challenged, right? Your dad's challenging. You're being pushed. Yeah. He said, but if you can come out of it, that's when you can end up becoming something really special if you can handle it. Now, obviously, we know what Jordan ended up doing, but uh, what happens if he didn't have a father figure that challenged him that way and an older brother that kicked his ass for all those years? Would Michael have been Michael? I don't know. Well, Michael Jordan was famous, if you follow his career, for proactively looking for things to cause him pain. Right? We've all heard that story. He got cut from the team when he was in high school. Well, that's not really true. He tried to make the varsity team before he was even at varsity level, and they made him play JV like all the other people his grade level. But he interpreted that like, they shafted me. I'm going to make them pay for that, and, it, and he used it as fuel. I think Michael Jordan understood the fuel that comes from pain. If you said something about him in a newspaper article before the game, or you made it sound like you were on his level, he took it personal. And I don't think he was an egomaniac. It wasn't that. It was he knew when you're that good and you're this successful, you got to find ways to keep fueling yourself. And I've noticed that successful people will frequently raise the bar on them their own selves. So now they feel like they're not successful enough and they're still in pain to use it as fuel. And I remember being a kid hearing a lot of parents say that the phrase, I want my kids to have everything I didn't have. 
And as a kid, I was kind of jealous because my dad wasn't saying that ever. <laughs> I don't think he had that desire once in his life. But now I understand how dangerous that was because what you should have been saying is, I want to give my kids the values and principles that I developed when I was in this pain instead of yeah. I want to give them what I've already earned. Would you agree, Patrick? No question about it. You know, it's 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 so hard to do when you can do everything for them. That's when it gets hard. And then, mm. you know, kids in school say, do you know who your daddy is? Do you know your daddy has money? Do you know your daddy can buy anything? Why doesn't your daddy do this? And why doesn't your daddy do that? And kids come home and they say that to you, daddy, how much money you got, daddy? Somebody in school <laughs> told me you're this and someone in school told me you're famous and somebody in school told me you're rich. My teacher said this. I'm like, I'm like, what did they tell you? So we kind of process it together. And I said, okay. I said, look, I'm going to, so we go to a restaurant at Ball Harbor and he sees this white Ferrari and he really likes it. My middle son says, daddy, I want you to buy that Ferrari for me. I said, son, I'm going to do something way better for you. He said, what? What are you going to buy me? I said, I'm going to show you how you can buy that white Ferrari yourself one day. <laughs> how awesome is that? No, I want you yeah. to buy it. I said, nobody, I'm going to show you how you can buy it one day. And uh, it was a great example of how, you know, of course, it's something I could do. Of course, I can go get the kid, you know, almost anything he wants. But is that necessarily what's going to build him into who he can be potentially one day? Not at all. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, what you're describing is the capitalistic mindset versus the communistic mindset or the socialistic one, which would say, well, everyone should have a Ferrari. And so I'm curious how much of your background and where you came from developed this affinity that you seem to have for capitalism. I grew up in a family where my mom couldn't stand rich people. She just didn't like mm, She same. despised rich people. And we had one guy in our family who just passed away two months ago, six weeks ago, who was the richest guy in our family. And my mom would always say bad things about him. He's this, he's that, he's this. I'm like, man, I, I couldn't stand this guy. I'm like, what a bad person you are. And then when I came to the States, my dad would take me to his house uh, on, you know, once uh, a summer and I would go to his place. I could tell you exactly what his house looked like. 7,200 square foot house, neighbors with Snoop Dogg and Upland off a street called San Antonio. You drive up to the cul-de-sac. To the left, he had a massive uh, bird's, uh, what do you call the bird's cage? But I'm talking like 30 feet up bird's cage. Now like one of these small ones. And then he would always have Jaguars. He was a Jaguar guy and Cadillac guy. And his, <laughs> uh, 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 almost like his cousin would live in that house, Alfred. And when you walked into the home, to the right was his office. And then all the way to the end was a master bedroom, living area, kitchen. He had a picture with Al Gore for whatever reason. And then he had this picture with his entire family who were all dressed in white, pool table, and then swimming pool, tennis court, and all this stuff. I used to love going to this place, but my mom couldn't stand this guy. And, and then later on in life, and my dad on the other side, my dad couldn't stand lazy people. Oh my gosh, my dad couldn't stand lazy people. He, I mean, to the point where if you were lazy, my dad had zero filters. He would tell you, you're lazy, you're fat. Why are you so fat? Stop eating so much food. I'm like, Dad, you can't say stuff like to people, Dad. That's not, that's not respectful. But I'm telling him the truth. I said, I get that, but there's a way you communicate. There were a couple of my friends who would never come to my house, but would say, how are you doing, Gordo? How are you, Gordo? I'm like, Dad, what are you, bro, what are you doing? Hmm. This guy's like, I'm like, but he's fat. He needs to understand that his butt is too big. He needs to lose 20 pounds. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It was funny and comical at the same time, but very uncomfortable. So... <laughs> 
So these are this these are my parents. I'm just and I love these guys, but they're my parents, right? My mother's side, they were communists. My dad's side, he was an imperialist. So later on, when I grew up, I'm like, okay, uh, not all lazy people, not all poor people are lazy. Some poor people are poor for other reasons, not because they're lazy. I know a lot of poor people that work their tails off. Yeah. They're poor because they don't read books, because they don't develop new skill sets because they don't increase their value in the marketplace. And to them, they've been convinced, whether it's by their family, the TV, the government, that they are poor and they're supposed to be poor and rich people are bad and they stay in that state and they don't question anything. Where I started questioning things and I said, Mom, I don't know about this. I hung out with that man. He's a very nice guy. You know, he gives to everybody. His entire family lives with him. So he was a socialist within his family. He took care of his family very good. But when it came down to business, he wanted to build a big business for himself and compete. And he wanted to pay taxes, but not too much taxes. And eventually, years later, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I was 33 years old when I asked him. I asked her, I said, Mom, why don't you, why don't you like that guy so much? He says, you know what? It's not like he ever did anything bad to us. It's just when he became rich, we never saw him as much as we used to see him. I said, Mom, that's a different story, Mom. The guy is busy. You don't know the guy's life. He's got kids. He's got grandkids, all this other stuff. He says, no, I get it. He says, you know, things are different now. But you know, my life experiences got me to finally get to the point that I think it's all about choice. I don't like force. Leave it to me to choose. Don't force me to pay 70% in taxes. Don't force me to be poor, broke, billionaire, rich, middle America. Give me the choice to do it. And all of that fits with the criteria of capitalism, not all the other economical systems that are out there. Well, let's talk about the book a little bit. Uh, your next five moves, uh, definitely one of the best books I've read in the past few years. Really, really good. Uh, and I read a ton of books. I, I, and you read a lot of books too. I can tell like, you know what you're talking about. So what does that mean? Your next five moves? Can you explain the analogy there uh, with the chess? Everything in life to me is about your next five moves. You know, you, you, even right now, you, you sat there prior to this interview and you said, what's the first question I'm going to ask? You, your flow. There are 15 moves in this interview that you have. You, if you prep and you sit there and you got the you know stuff marked off on the book and you're like, hey, I'm going to say this and I'm going to ask this and you go first and I go first. That whole thing is, uh, is 15 moves that you got in place. So I came up with the title originally 15 moves because I was, uh, I was watching a documentary by Magnus Carlsen and they were talking about how the grandmaster knows you know 10 or 15 moves, masters know 5 to 10 moves, pros know 3 to 5 moves, and the amateur only knows his next move when he plays chess, okay? It's typically one or three moves that they know. So in the, in the world of business and life, those who win at the highest level, they typically sit there and say the following. They say, okay, all right, here's what the conditions are. They do a lot of research, 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 read, 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 research, research, research. And then they say, okay, based on this, move one, I'm going to send an email to that guy. Move two. I'm going to send an email to those two as well for options in case he says no. Move three, I'm going to contact my attorney and ask him to drop the contract. Move four, I'm going to talk to my partner to see if he wants to come in on this for another million bucks. Move five, I'm going to go out there and get this product prepared to ship to those three so they all have. Move six, I'm going to talk to the person that are each of their best friends because I know Bob that knows Jack. I know Larry who knows Mary. I know Joey who knows Jackie. Perfect. So they also know what's going on. And then you like look at and then a 15 move is what? We do business deal together and we make $10 million together. Are we gonna go out there and launch a book? Are we gonna go out there and launch this? But all of that is about moves. And I think too many times where we as human beings get it wrong is sequencing. 
I know a lot of people that have good ideas. I know a lot of people that are workers. I know a lot of people that want to do something big with their lives, but they force move 19 to move two and it breaks everything down. They try to buy a house they cannot afford too early. Mm. They lose it all. They try to go out there and kind of become this famous person that they haven't done yet enough to get there. And they want that kind of respect. But you haven't earned the marketplace. They rub the people, rub certain people the wrong way. The, the sequencing is where we make the mistakes in. And that's why I wrote the book, Your Next Five Moves, which is really all about sequencing. You know, as you were talking, you had me thinking that when I, I was a police officer, technically I still am. And now I moved into being a real estate broker and a loan officer and, and starting business, becoming more of an entrepreneur. One of the hardest things that I had to learn was the understanding of leverage that it's, it, there's this temptation to just do it yourself. And what you made me realize was that's the, I only think one move at a time, yeah. see it, do it, see it, do it. And breaking that habit where you hire assistants and you let other people take over and you actually invest in them allows you to get a couple moves ahead. And what I found is as I've moved a couple moves ahead, it actually gets harder and harder to be able to bring yourself back to the details of the moment. When you get thinking that that far ahead, your mind is just looking at all the seven different ways this could work out and trying to prepare for where you're going to go, depending how it shakes out, that when you have to bring yourself back to present day, what am I going to do right now? It's really hard. Did you have a similar transition, Patrick, as you scale to the level that you're at? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, of course. But when you when you scale and you get to the next level, um, the challenge that you'll face is typically the following. You'll get to the next level. And if you yourself don't each time recreate yourself, you're not going to go back to the next level, to the following level. You're going to drop back down. It's almost like this. Let me explain to you how this thing works. So let's just take markers, making 100 grand a year, making a million, 10 million, 100 million, a billion. Let's just make those the numbers for the sake of numbers. And the numbers could be 100,000, quarter million, a half a million, a million, two million. It doesn't matter. I'm just giving you a number. You got a business that the top line revenue is 100 grand, a million, 10 million, 100 million, a billion, right? Okay. When you're doing 100 grand a year, you're in the top 1% of a community. What do you mean by that? You're in the top 1% of the community. You could be one of only 50 kids, you know, 100 kids that came out of your school or your cousins that's making $100,000 all your income. So you're elite amongst people that are around you, but you go into the next level who are making a million dollar your income, you're a nobody. You go to the bottom 10%, right? So it's like playing basketball at a junior high school where you're the best guy and that same kid goes plays with high school people, you get bullied. And then the same guy goes and plays basketball at Rucker or, you know, goes plays basketball at New York or LA or some of the best streets in Chicago, Miami. And you get crushed. You're like, I don't like playing at Venice Beach. I prefer playing with my junior high school friends. So each time you go to the next level, you are the worst of the next level. And it's very hard to go to the being the best of your current level. And, you know, everyone says, oh, my gosh, he's the, he's the manager of Cedars. Oh, my gosh, he's the, man, he's, he's the best in our office. He's the best out of the five people in our little group. But then that guy goes and you're walking around like this in your office. And then you go into the region and you're like, I'm, I'm really a nobody here. I thought I was like killing it. And that kind of can push you to want to go back only to your small little office to feel special. Or you may get the feeling saying, man, I'm little here, but what if I can compete with these guys? And what if I learn what they're doing? This could really be amazing. And then boom, 
you flourish, and now you're getting, let's just say, MVP, and you're the best of that group, and then you go to the Nationals. And you're like, I'm going to the Nationals. You go to the Nationals. Like, wait a minute. Dude, that guy from New York's better than me. He, that guy from Oak Brook's better than me. That guy from D.C. is better than me. Wow, I'm a nobody. But what if I can compete now? So you get this idea how this thing works. So every time you scale to the next level, you're going to hit a level of recognition and affirmation that you're getting that's going to feel good. But is that going to mean you stay there or you're going to chase your capacity? Believe it or not, it doesn't take a lot to slow people down. Just pay them $100,000 your income and tell them they're special. They'll typically stay there for the rest of their lives. That's just typically how things work. But if you challenge somebody to seek their capacity, that means every other year you're going to face something very, very difficult that's going to be new and no one's know how you're going to handle it. But it's in those moments when we realize, are you a big thinker or you're a small thinker? We're going to find that out. That's so good. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. You know, I, I love the way you put that. Uh, I've told the story a few times on the show here, and I'll just summarize here is, you know, I spent a decade getting to 100 rental units, had 100 rental units, you know, wrote some popular real estate books, have a podcast. I was feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job. And then I got into a, I went and spoke at a conference, right? I was keynote speaker, right? Because I'm the guy in the podcast. I go speak there. And all of a sudden I realized I was the least qualified person to be in that room of every attendee, of every speaker. I was, I should not have been there. And I was there because of my podcast or name or whatever. And it was like that day I had to decide, am I going to go back to where I feel really good about myself and pat myself on the back because I'm I'm doing a good job or am I going to push myself to that next level? And so now in the past 18 months, we bought two th- almost 2000 more units, uh, you know, went from hundred to 2000 because I, I said, I'm going to push that next level, but that is hard. And that is painful to go back to the conversation we had earlier, painful. In fact, I pulled a quote out of your book here and I love this. It said, those who can tolerate pain the most the ones with the most endurance give themselves the highest chance of winning in business because every time you push to that next level, it is painful and it is difficult to all of a sudden be the worst. But I think that's what makes the the top people, the top people. Yeah. I mean, first of all, kudos to you guys, to, to you for going from a, a couple hundred to a couple thousand. Uh, and it's sometimes Thanks. in those moments where you go to an event and you see people that are ahead of you say, well, how come, what happens if I give my best? Here's, here's also what I say. What I say to to people that say, well, why does this matter? I said, it doesn't matter. So what do you mean? I said, okay, let me me unpack this for you. Why is everybody always talking about money? It's not about money, but let let me explain and hopefully this makes sense. I got a call once from one of my, and I talk about it in the book where I got a call and this person was getting ready to throw in the towel. Ah, just business isn't for me. I'm gonna go to church and I can't believe because this other person's, you know, I'm just like, why are you throwing the towel? I just think I'm, I'm, I'm a church person and you're not a church person. I said, wait, you, you are more holy than I am. Okay, fair. That, that argument's a whole different argument, but I don't want to have that with you. But let's talk about something else with you. I said, what are you running away from? You're running away from something. 
I'm not running away from anything. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. You think life is all about money, and I don't. I said, you think that I think life is all about money? Yes. What has given you the idea that I think life is all about money? Well, you know, look, look at look at how hard you work to go out there and build a business and what you're doing. Look at you. All you care about is money. I said, no. I said, what I'm solving for is I want to know what the best version of Patrick looks like. I'm just so curious about this guy. Now, let me flip it on you. What's that? I said, what's good money to you? If you make it, you'd be very happy. Like, you, you, if you never make more than that, you're totally happy. Says, if I make $150,000 your income, I'm happy. I said, great, no problem. I said, let's just say $150,000 your income. Great. I said, say you're 75 years old. Says, yes. I said, say you're 75 years old at dinner with your grandkids and you have a nice place. You got a nice backyard. You've been living in this place for 30 years and you're totally happy with it. You never made more than 150 and you sit there. You know you had all the talent in the world to do something massive with your life, but you settle to just do the 100, 150. If you're sitting there, will you have any regrets that you didn't give it all in your life? And the person's quiet. Uh, I would have no regrets. I said, then guess what? Go live that life. I said, I would. If I'm the 75-year-old sitting there and saying, I just lived a safe life, I would be so miserable. Because my wiring is not that. My wiring is curious. I said, only do what you said you're going to do if you sincerely mean it. But if deep down inside, you're going to be one of these ambitious people that doesn't want to give their best and somebody else advances ahead of you and behind closed doors, you have a little bit of envy in you. That means you always wanted to give more, but you were afraid of it and you didn't want to put in the work, but you were a bigger thinker. So be very true to yourself because if you lie to yourself, it's a pain that's going to last a long time. So again, I don't judge anybody that makes $50,000 a year who writer. And they write a book and they make $50,000 writing their book and they, they're not famous. They're not famous. The world doesn't know them, but they make 50K. They're so happy and they're so happy for me. Meaning, this guy's making 50K. He's so happy. But when we get together, it's like, man, I just heard what happened the other day, Pat. Freaking congratulations, bro. Awesome. And I know he's sincere. I just love the level of alignment this individual has. Unfortunately, most people sit there and they say, look what he's doing. Look what she's doing. Dude, go chase your own life. I don't judge you if you want to live a small life or a big life. You get to make the decision on how big of a life you want to build. That's phenomenal. Yeah, that that whole chapter, though, you talk about envy in the book was one of the most like life-changing chapters I've read. I'm, I'm like in any book. It was so like, I mean, I think I underlined and circled. was like, this is so good. I need to talk about this. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I even underlined that this quote, it says, what will give you peace of mind is being honest enough uh, to know who you are and do what it takes to live the life you want. Because yeah, it's not always about, like, you don't have to go have 2,000 units like I do, or you don't have to be a huge real estate team like David does. Um, like, if you're happy where you're at, be where you're at. But I think the key is knowing yourself, right? It's knowing who you are, knowing what you want. And that's why that's basically the first move, right? Is is being real with yourself and knowing yourself. All right, I want to move on. I want to move on to Something that you call the person, the personal identity audit, I think. Can you explain what that is and why is that so impactful for people? Yeah, years ago, I went to Matador uh, Beach and I had a list of 83 questions that I went through. And I sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, this one's a tough one to answer. 
you know, tell me about the three people in your life that you dislike the most. And you write it down. You're like, how similar are you to them? Wait, what? I mean, what do you mean similar? They're not like me. I'm not like, well, we maybe have. So maybe you don't like yourself. What is the problem with you not liking it? I went through these set of questions. I was like, oh, my gosh, this was too tough, difficult, and a frustrating and annoying experience. But what it did do is, by the time it was done, I was like, you know what, Pat? Oh, man, you got a lot of problems. But it's okay. You know, you're going to be all right. It's okay. So the more and more it became about this guy accepting this guy, uh, the craziness, I accepted. The nonstopness, I accepted. Like my wife, we were at a party this Saturday celebrating Persian New Year. And one of the girls there asks my wife how I am. It's like, you know, every time I see Patrick, it's like this. My wife says, you, 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 there, you don't know one thing about Patrick. What's that? From the moment Pat wakes up till he goes to sleep, he is nonstop doing something. He's going, 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 going. I don't know any other way. You know, I have no idea any other way but then to be that way, right? Okay. So, you know, the questions, what they did for me is it got me to say, that's okay that you're like that. Uh, one time, Nassim Taleb, he wrote a book. I don't know which one it was, Anti-Fragile or Skin in a Game. One of the things he talked about in his book, he said, you know, so many people want to uh, give people medicine and stuff to eat so they stop getting angry or they stop getting uh, frustrated. He says, I enjoy being angry. I want to feel that. He says, when it rains and I'm writing, he says, I feel a little bit depressed. He says, I don't want to stop rain. I like rain. But when it rains, I do get a little bit down. You know, you're from North Washington, so you kind of, yep. sometimes you experience like, no, I, I don't mind. Maybe not nine months out of the year for you. Maybe you go to Maui, it's a different kind of a thing. But the point is, you know, I, I, I kind of want to get to a point where I'm comfortable being around Patrick the rest of my life because you can get along, you can get along with everybody in the world. But man, if you can't get along with yourself, what a miserable life. What a miserable life. And here's the flip side of it. You cannot get along with everybody in the world. Let's say majority of people in the world, but you get along with yourself. You know what's so weird? The person that gets along with themselves, but nobody else in the world lives a happier life than the person that doesn't get along with themselves, but they get along with everybody else in the rest of the world. I mean, because eventually there has to be understanding with who you are. Now, the person that's like, I don't get along with everybody else. If you're also not working on yourself and improving yourself, maybe you're just an asshole. And there's a reason why that's the case. There are assholes that think pretty highly of themselves. But I think the point I'm trying to more make is when I went through those questions, by the time it was done, I said, you know what, Pat? I like you. I think you're not going to get along for a long time. Yeah. That's really good. And, and of course, everyone, you can get the, at the end of the book, you actually have it li listed in there, the questions. Um, and I know it's on your website, I think as well. Uh, so yeah, super important. Now, one more, one more topic I wanted to make sure we cover today. And that is, I was fascinated by your discussion on the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur. Because so many people, especially in this, you know, this is a, a real estate show, right? So everyone's, I want financial freedom and I want to, you know, quit my job and stick it to the man. We get a lot of that attitude feeling. But for a lot of people, the answer may not be entrepreneurship. It may be entrepreneurship. Can you explain the difference there and, and who makes maybe a good entrepreneur versus entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, right now, there are so many people that want to be able to on Instagram or Twitter say entrepreneur, investor, you know, all that other stuff. Uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are broke and there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are billionaires. You know, there are a lot of people that are not meant to be entrepreneurs. There are a lot of people that are better entrepreneurs. There are a lot of employees that make horrible employees, right? Meaning mm -hmm. 
you're just not a good employee. You you just don't do well to the whole basic stuff where it's like, no, you got to do this. It's like, no. And so those people are needing to be entrepreneurs, but there are companies that are doing a very good job, especially in the last couple of decades, that they attract people that are entrepreneurs, but they work W-2 for a company because that company allows them to be entrepreneurs within a company, yet they're W-2, and I call them entrepreneurs yep. because in every possible way, that person works like an entrepreneur. What's an what's a entrepreneur's work schedule look like? All the time. You know, yeah. like Bill Gates talks about, you know, first 20 years of my life, we never took a vacation. Now, nah, a little bit extreme, but, you know, that's what he did. Great. He's happy. He's okay with it. You know, he, some people like him. Some people don't. It's Bill Gates. Zuckerberg. Yeah. They asked him a question. They said, did you watch the, so did you watch the social network? Yes, I did. What did you think about it? How much truth was there? He says, there was some truth, but one part of the truth that wasn't in there was a, we worked a lot harder. We didn't party as much as that movie show we partied. We didn't party that hard. We worked a lot. Yeah. So, you know, and he was pretty serious. And Mark Zuckerberg doesn't seem like the joking type. Like, I can't see Mark telling a joke. And quite frankly, if he did, I don't think it would be funny because he doesn't seem like a funny guy himself, you know? <laughs> but the, the, the point I'm trying to make is before you go out there and take your 401k out and refinance and cash out all your equity in your home to start your own business, you may want to go find a crazy founder that you like who is on a mission to do something big that you can go in and get some equity in the company or buy into the company, help that company be a $10 billion company, and you own a couple percent, you'll end up being worth $50 million versus I'm going to go open up my own restaurant. Unless if it's a passion play, it's a different story. But sometimes it makes more sense to become an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur. You know, early in in my uh, career, like I'm an I'm an entrepreneur at Bigger Pockets. So this is the Bigger Pockets podcast, right? Uh, the Bigger Pockets, the website was started. 18 years ago, something like that from Josh Dorkin. He was the CEO. Now I have equity in the company, but it's not my company. I'm an entrepreneur. And in the beginning, I, I was not a good entrepreneur. I did not have the skill. Here's what I would like. When people say they want to start a business, I'm always like, all right, can you get up and go work, you know, 80 hour, 90 hour weeks for six months without making any money whatsoever, you know, without knowing you're going to be successful. And the, that's what it takes to start most businesses. There's a lot of time and effort before you start making money. And I could not do that in the beginning. I could not, I was not an entrepreneur. But I've learned now over the last few years, now I'm an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur, right? I do the podcast here, but then I have my real estate business on the side, which has become, you know, even more profitable than anything I do here at Bigger Pockets. So anyway, so I, and the nice, the nice thing though is you're not stuck at one forever. Like you can be, if you're honest with yourself, like I am a better entrepreneur, or at least was, than I was an entrepreneur, but I learned how to be a better entrepreneur by working with, you know, a founder, Josh, who I deeply respect and love. Uh, and he taught me how to be an entrepreneur. And so now I can do both. And so it's just uh, kind of kudos a... to Josh, by the way, and kudos to you for identifying that more power to you and Josh. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a it's been a ride. David, what do you think? In my own journey, one of the things I've learned is at least this is the way I look at it now. And I'd love to get Patrick's opinion and perspective on it. The entrepreneur is the person that has to go gather every single resource and bring it to the people and then lead them in how to use it. So I think about my business, we're successful if we, we can build a house. We, we're actually selling houses, but for this analogy. And I got to go buy the wood and buy the nails and buy the tools and negotiate the price on all of those and get a contract together for who's going to buy the house and then get the permits done with the city. And I could go on. All that stuff has to be done. And then I bring all that information to the entrepreneurs, the agents on the team. And I say, look, I've done everything I can to possibly make you successful. At times, I will even get in there with you and swing the hammer, but you got to build the house. 
And a lot of entrepreneur or people that should be entrepreneurs, they look at it like their ego gets involved and they don't think that they should. But what they really are is house builders. They're good at that. They give them a hammer, give them a saw, they'll go out there and they'll build the thing, but they don't know how to gather those resources and they don't maybe know how to make the blueprint and they definitely don't know how to run a P&L to make sure they're going to be profitable. They sort of need that from the entrepreneur and that's the way that I look at the whole thing. Now on my team, what we do is when you become successful and you want a bigger piece, I build a team around the people on my team. I go say, look, I'm going to I'm going to hire people and train them to serve you the same way you did for me and you're going to take a step up this ladder and now you're going to have all these people that are underneath you. And I really, that's a great transition, Patrick, because I'm so curious as to how you scaled your insurance company and your other businesses to the degree you did. Is it anything close to what I'm describing? Yeah, I, you know, for me, it's it's a number of things. But, uh, uh, you know, for me, we started off with 66 agents and we today have around 20,500 agents nationwide with, you know, 100, oh. nearly 150 offices in 49 states. We have more problems today than ever before. I tell you, we have more problems today than ever before. Not because the company is going down. We're just bigger. But mm-hmm. the benefit of having more problems than we ever had before is we also have way more leaders than we ever had before. Way more leaders than we ever had before. The benefit of having more leaders is they take on responsibility and you share pressure. I think the, I remember in 2013, 2014, I was having a lot of anxiety and I'm like, oh my gosh. What am I going to do? How are we going to handle this? I've never been through this before. I started bringing in C-suite executives, and I realized, like, when you share the pressure, this thing becomes a lot easier. Sometimes people don't like sharing pressure. Sometimes people want to hog pressure. It's okay to share pressure with the right people. It accelerates a lot of it. So the more I was able to share the pressure, we grew faster because that means we had more leaders to help make the vision of the company reality. Once we all bought into the vision, and we shared pressure. We started scaling a lot faster. You know, what you're describing there might be the trait of how you know if you're a leader in a company is if you're wanting the pressure or if you're just wanting the perks. The employee comes in and they want all the perks, but they don't want to share the pressure. Whereas the leader who you're going to build around welcomes the responsibility that comes with it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And as I'm reading your book and as I'm learning more about you, I realize you do. You are wired to, for this hard work, hard charging. Um, you know, growth mentality. How are you balancing that with your also desire to be a good father, to be a good family man, to, to have a life, you know, like how do you, how do you balance that? Um, those two ambitions. My wife's pregnant with our fourth. We have three kids, a nine, seven and a four. So we definitely make time in the bedroom to, uh, (laughs) have a, a fun with each other. And I, uh, I probably have, this is probably my favorite part of my life with my kids. I love my kids. But let me tell you, I mean, I enjoy my Sundays with them. Yesterday, we broke a new record. We went yesterday for 10 miles and 10.16 miles yesterday. You got to realize these kids are doing it in a BMX. You know, it's not like small mm. little bike. It's not like they have gear. So they're like going like this. So to go 10.16 miles with boys, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, you know, I'm proud of those guys. But look. My vision was crystal clear. I grew up in a a family where my dad worked six days a week and I saw him once a week. In Iran, Friday was the only day off. Sundays we worked. Sunday of US is the Friday of Iran. So Iran was Fridays. He worked every day. He left at five o'clock. He came at nine. And I've never felt like I missed something with my dad. Never. Did my dad throw football with me? He has no clue how to play football. 
Did my dad shoot baskets with me? He has no clue how to play basketball. Did he hit baseball with me? No. Did he sit there and teach me how to do carpet? No. But you know what? I, I don't feel like I missed anything with them. Now, on this side, I bring my kids to my office. They travel with me. Quarterly, we always have some special going on that's with the family. Uh, Sundays, I have my plans with them. Saturdays, it's date night. Friday nights, is date night. Every day when I'm in town, I take my wife out to lunch on a daily basis. So that's I wanted cool. to build my life around things and criteria that I have today. And these are my non-negotiables. But there was an element of sacrifice that others didn't want to do that I did. But the vision is so big that my wife and I talked about it for 18 months before getting married. And I told her, if you want to find a nine-to-five guy to marry that's home every night at five, it's not this guy. But I can introduce you to plenty. It's just not going to be this guy. So <laughs> you tell me what you want to do, babe. And then she finally decided to do it. By the way, she's seven months pregnant. She's at the office next door doing her own thing. Oh. Okay, and she, she's, yeah. uh, she's the VP of operations right now running a $5 million software that we just developed in the last three years. And she spearheaded that project from beginning to the end. So she does. That's awesome. I think it also, yeah, it definitely helps to uh, manage those expectations up front, right? I mean, with everything in life, right? It's all about managing expectations. Very cool, man. Well, I got about 400 more questions that we're not going to get to today, but let's summarize uh, today's show, getting to the last segment. It's called our Famous Four. This is the Famous Four. It's the same four questions we ask every guest every week. We're going to fire them at you right now. Uh, first question for you, is there a habit or trait that you're currently working on in your life? Anything that right now you're saying, hey, that, I'm trying to adapt that in my life and try to get better at that? Patience. I've been working on my entire life. I've, I've failed miserably, although I am more <laughs> patient today than ever before. Uh, I can say what I pray for constantly because I'm working on it regularly, and that's having more courage, having more wisdom, being more tolerant, and having more understanding. I, I still think I got so much work to do, but those are four that I'm constantly working on. Now, those traits are also actually things you actively purposefully work on with your children correct yes right there's is there three things you guys pray together with every night those are the four things courage wisdom tolerance understanding it's non-stop yeah, that's great that's awesome um okay which books have made the biggest impact on your life it's funny i've read the same books at different stages of my life and they had a different impact but uh, oh, one yeah. book like it's like a book that means nothing to anybody hypomanic edge did a lot for me but hypo, if you go on you google uh, amazon right now, it's got like 28 reviews maybe 100 reviews but hypomanic edge laws of success when i read it in 2010 how to win friends and influence people probably 10 20 times because i'm a military guy Lean Startup allowed me to, yeah. uh, at the beginning stages of the company, be focused. Built to Sell got me to realize the importance of system. Zero to one, Peter Thiel was very effective. Gary Keller's uh, The One Thing. I mean, I can tell you, like, right now, I believe it or not, uh, I'm, reading, uh, I'm reading a book right now on uh, 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 a guy that's genius guy. The man who ran Washington, James Baker. I'm reading the story of James Baker right now because how you create alliances and diplomacy and ambassadors, you know, all of that stuff, because that's what I'm curious about right now. But I go through phases, and the way I read books is I read subjects. I'll pick a subject, I'll order 20 books, and that's all I read. Next question, when you're not taking over the world and teaching all the rest of us how to do the same thing. What are some of your hobbies? I like the water. I like the ocean. I uh, came over here specifically to be closer to the ocean. I love movies. If, you know, there used to be time in the middle of the day, I used to go watch a movie at like 10 a.m. with my 80-year-old friends who were like, why is this young guy? Because typically people who watch movies at 10 a.m., they're 80 years old. 
So I go there and like, you don't look like you're on Social Security. I'm like, nah, but how you doing, Grandma? Good to see you. How you doing, Grandpa? We'd sit there and we'd watch a movie. I'm a movie fanatic. I love movies. Uh, I love outdoors, um, biking, exercising, uh, and I'm definitely a big foodie. I love some good food. Rumor has it that you're the best guy to watch a movie with because as you watch I Am Legend, you'll break it down and tell people what the directors are trying to say with that story. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> I love it. My last question of the day. If you had to pinpoint like one or two things, I know this is like an awful question to answer because it's impossible to do, but if you had to pinpoint one or two things that separate successful entrepreneurs from those who give up or they fail or something just never gets started, uh, what would you say? I think there, you know, it goes back to the whole Nick Saban thing, man. You got to be true to your to yourself and your vision. Like, mm-hmm. I know it sounds kind of hokey. You got to be true to yourself or whatever. But a friend of mine called me this weekend. This friend of mine, he's had a lot of problems. It's not been the easiest thing. But he called me and we had a very interesting conversation together. He's acted very weird with me the last 10 years. But this guy knew me. Like, one time we're in Las Vegas. Okay. We're at Studio 54. Okay, I'm 42. I was 21 at the time. So that's 21 years ago. And I was so gone. And I have $5,000 on me. I was throwing $100 bills. I couldn't afford to throw $100 bills. It was the only $5,000 I had because I took it out of my credit card because I was gambling. Mm. I'm throwing money. This guy grabs me. We go out. I'm so done because I've had like seven shots of tequila. And he puts me in the back of the car. I punch him in the face. I'm like, don't touch me. And I'm like, he puts me in. And then he knows that Patrick, and he knows this Patrick. So to him, it's like, man, I can't disconnect from the two Patricks, Mm -hmm. right? So I said to him, I said, listen, why are you comparing yourself and your life to me? I decided to dramatically change my life because of what happened with my dad. That's my choice. You know, I decided to do that. You got to make a decision on what kind of a life you want to live. So if there is something to say for the people that do make it, they're true to themselves, and they don't compare. I don't compare my vision to yours. I just know my vision is I'm not going to stop until this thing becomes a reality because there are certain set. I tell my, I tell God, I say, God, if you keep me healthy and you give me a good 100 years, I'm going to do stuff that's going to make you very proud. I used to say 80 years. Now I'm saying 100 years because I'm getting closer yeah. to 80. I'm like, give me another 20 more. You know? <laughs> yeah. We'll go 130, 140. We're good. Yeah. Let's keep going. So, I think you got to be true to your vision and don't let anybody confuse you and make you feel guilty about it. Guilt is a very powerful tool that people use to control you. You cannot let guilt prevent you from chasing your dreams. Love it, man. All right. So for people who want to learn more about you, Patrick, where's the best place for them to go? I mean, you can go on Amazon, order the book, Your Next Five Moves, or you can send me a message on Twitter. I will respond back uh, at Patrick Bedavid. And if you want to see the content, you can go on YouTube and type in Patrick Bedavid. You'll see plenty of stuff. That's awesome, man. Well, again, really, really appreciate you having you on the show today. I mean, everything you talk about is just solid gold. So uh, we're honored to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you. This is David Green for Brandon, the perfect father, Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. 
If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.